to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. They cannot wake up until they rebel, and they cannot rebel until they wake up. Welcome to the deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. This is huge. For the first time ever, we are doing a three-parter. This is all about the Gloria Vale cult, which is a cult in New Zealand that started in 1969 and is still in operation today. Faithful, yes, that is his real name, was born into the cult. In this episode, he shares all about what life was like growing up in that community, what school was like, and please note that this episode does discuss some of the sexual abuse that occurred. Faithful, welcome to the deep. Thank you. Could you help me and everyone listening explain what Gloria Vale is? What it is in reality is a cult. Which I don't say lightly. I know, I know that's a pretty big, a heavy word to use on any place. But yeah, it is a place where control is the order of every day. Okay, so a cult based in New Zealand. Yeah. Where the premise is based around religion. Yes. I guess it was always supposed to be a Christian community. When did you find Gloria Vale? How old were you? I was born into that um, into that community. It wasn't Gloria Vale at the time. It was um, called Springbank. It was on the east coast of the South Island of New Zealand. It was in 1991 that we bought the property that we named Gloria Vale. And um, so Gloria Vale is how we refer to the whole thing because Gloria Vale has become an ideology rather than just a location. Got it, got it. It's a culture now. 
It's yes. a movement. Okay. So this is really fascinating because you were born into something. So your parents were early adopters. So my mother was uh, 14. It was her family's farm that sort of that I grew up. Well, that was where the community took over and grew up. I grew up there. Um my father was about 18 when he joined. Yeah, so they were quite young. Um, mm -hmm. They married when my mum was 21. So that was in the early 70s. Was it, in retrospect, a cult back then as well, or did it evolve? There's certain aspects of it that have evolved, but there's there's a lot of things when I talk to people from back then that we see the the very same methods starting to be used the difference being of course um those initial people they had come from the outside they knew a different life they had skills and financial resources and family that they knew whereas by the time i grew up that was a distant memory of the past um all of all of what we knew everything was within this very small community can i ask how old you are now i'm 37 did you grow up without technology without education what was life like as a small child all the way up to adolescence for you gloria vale's always had its um private school which is uh, one of the sort of a centerpiece, really, of the whole institution, was having that private school. It was just a basic, basic education um, through primary school. Wouldn't be a lot different, I would say, from what you would normally expect from a primary school. Mm -hmm. And um, the main difference, I guess, was that we... Like, the moment I went to school, in the afternoon, we would go and work in the commercial gardens or go, I, I did dairy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so... Okay, right, so you're right working. From, yeah, so there was a very, very heavy emphasis on um, work. Um, all of all of our schooling, and, and this was something that was um, said quite openly by the uh, original leader, was that we really only, our education system only wanted to be something that would produce people for our workforce. Mm. So uh, getting to high school, of course, things get quite different because, yeah, we weren't... Um, looking to what career I might want to do or anything. We were just boys learned agriculture and girls learned typing. Um, some few did accounting and things mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, then the day you turned 15, you're out of school and into the full-time workforce. Understood, which is all within the cult. It's all yeah. within yeah. the yeah. yeah institution. Okay. Do you have access to TV, to radio, to online, anything like that? No, they're the devil's tools. You don't, <laughs> you don't have any of them. So 
Um, we all knew that the, of course, that the the main leader was listening to the radio in his car, but none of us were allowed to, um, yeah, the access to outside information was very limited until very recently. Um, I do understand they have a little bit more than they had. Okay. Cause this cult is still existing. Yes. Um, my mum and eight of my siblings are still there. Um, still nearly 600 people. That's really hard. It is. We hear of communities often that are based around religion, that are around agriculture and, you know, giving back to just the community in which they live and breathe. Which part of this then looks like a cult versus say a community that has free will and goes about their lives and can come and go. Is that kind of the cornerstone? Is it the free will piece? When I say it's a cult, um, we're talking about a certain set of practices and um, Gloria Vale ticks every one of the boxes really that I've seen. Um, So complete financial control heavy indoctrination so that's thought control um a standard clothing so another form of control everyone if anyone steps out of line like if you have your top button undone or your cuffs rolled up you're immediately spotted you're a you're a rebel you're a transgressor you know so there's there's heaps of pressure that can be put on every you know your hair has to be done exactly the right way regardless of what kind of hair you've got (laughs) um you know everyone all the men have to be shaved clean shaven um it's just every aspect of your life is able to be scrutinized you don't really you don't have any control and any freedom over anything um you didn't you don't choose who you marry um you don't choose where you work all of these things are delegated to you mm-hmm. the recruitment process i mean obviously you were born into this but they've recruited hundreds and hundreds of people yeah so during the 70s there was a lot of people coming and going um the the small number that stayed had proved that they would, you know, do whatever the leader said. Um, the last person from the outside really to join was 1987. Wow. So, yeah. So I was born in 1986. So I don't even remember that last person coming from the outside. And I'm, I'm like the fifth child, uh, sorry, sixth child in a family of 10, you know, so the family sizes were just growing hugely during that time. And so they targeted, instead of going out and trying to recruit more people from the outside, they turned all of their attention into just getting all the children to stay. Wow. So all that growth since then which um 
I think the lowest number that I can remember, I can remember when we had 150 people. And, you know, now we're up to 600 there and 200 or so have left in, in the last 10 years. And all of that is growth from births. And so there would be a lot of incest then, right? And crossing over? Um, no, no, it's not. I mean, there was enough different families to start with. So this is really interesting because what we're looking at isn't a, a cult that wants mass numbers. It's like wanting just pure control of the numbers it has. That's right. And brainwashing from birth happens, which is even more radical I guess, for someone like you to have left because you've got nothing to compare this to. Yeah, that's a huge journey. Um, I, I keep on bringing to mind a quote from a book. They, they cannot wake up until they rebel and they cannot rebel until they wake up. Oh, my God, because I'm just thinking, what was life like between your adolescence and your adulthood, right? When is it, when you're born into something like this, that you start to get something in the gut that goes, oh, doesn't feel right. Like I know it's supposed to and I know it's what everyone here does, but why doesn't this feel right for me? I will just say right now there was uh... – the, the main leader never believed in adolescence being a thing. So you were a boy one day and the man, the man. next, you were expected right. to be. There was no no changer over. Um, I guess one of the main things that cults employ to keep people from thinking about what might be wrong is a debilitating work regime. So like I mentioned, we started work, you know, every afternoon, um, except Friday afternoon and Sunday afternoon um, from six years old. And it was, you know, we put in a decent amount of labor um, all those years right up till we left school, we went full time question what does a six-year-old do for work back at Springbank, we had a commercial size garden uh, we grew you know potatoes pumpkins um, the children you know were them we were the ones that did the harvesting the cleaning the sorting yeah at everything six? yes for how many hours? I think it would be from half past one, two o'clock in the afternoon till uh, five o'clock. Holy moly. Okay, so we're also talking about levels of child abuse. Undoubtedly, yes. Yeah, we can get more into that. But I just wanted to, when you said six, I'm thinking... How will you even make a six-year-old, you know, who's got the attention span of a flea? Is it, are they harming them or harming you to make you do that? 
So I'll just um, recount my first day going to the garden that I remember. And um, I went down with a group of boys and I think we got there before the, um, the man who was going to be overseeing that day's work. Uh, boys being boys, we started playing in the trees and throwing um, the little nuts from the trees at each other, sort of having a little nut fight, mm. we called it. And, um, and then the man showed up and he said, that's enough, stop, come down, no more nuts throwing. And one boy threw another nut. He um, he got pulled down out of the tree and belted with a grubber. With a, it's just a wooden, big wooden handle implement for digging in the garden. So, yeah, he got that really, really hard. And um, that was that was the norm. That was, you know, you, you obey these men or else. You learn really quickly from a really young age that you will be beaten or you will watch beatings and that will happen to you if you don't comply. That's exactly. Um, so you, you'd get it in school, you could get it at work there. Um, you would miss out on meals for yeah, any infraction and um, often you'd get a hiding from your dad and it was expected of him that he would do that when you got home to sort of double the double the impact. Wow. Okay. Okay. You're, you're helping paint the picture, you know, a little clearly of how this all works. So can we go back to then adulthood? At what point is it appropriate to marry and you don't get to choose that? So how was all of that for you? There was a lot of talk from the old leader about 16 year olds should, you know, you should be well and truly ready to get married by then. Um, but not just that, he was, he was a pervert and um, he created a culture that sexualized children from a very young age, um, talked about indecent things publicly and um, I remember being in a meeting where he was encouraging the fathers to do all sorts of things and have conversations with the boys and the target audience was boys 8 to 12 years old and uh, so yeah we grew up sort of really 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 you know this getting married was the thing to look for uh, forward to it's it's pretty much the only thing to look forward to in your whole life really um, and uh, of course having children and and a big family was um, status so everything was geared to make you want to get married as early as possible have as many children as possible so yeah it came that's sort of the build-up. That conversation that, that these fathers are having about doing indecent things to their children, 
Do you know this through your father or from your experience? What were the indecent things? Um, they were encouraged to teach their boys that it was good to masturbate, that it, the, to show them if necessary. I know of some that helped them too, which was totally indecent. Um, also, the, like the, the conversation that my parents had with me and, um, yeah, it was, it just made me feel really uncomfortable. I was 10 or 11 at the time and even my mum had been put under pressure to like tell me stuff about women and I just I when she asked me if I wanted to know stuff I just said no and my dad and mum looked so relieved um they were they were good people my mum and dad and there were other I know from my friends that there were other men that weren't good people so so you're saying that there was a level of grooming there was a level of grooming from the leader to the parents down through to the children that sexually abusing children and you can frame that however you want is acceptable and also expected and so we can discuss it in any different way and normalize it. So you start practicing these things and this whole community thinks this is acceptable. Yeah. Yes. Um, he, he had issues himself and um, he needed victims, basically. Did he, or do you know if the leader was sexually abusing others within the community? He most certainly did. We know things happened earlier on, very definitely. And he put a culture in place that would sexualize children and normalize sexual things to children. Um, but there were things that he couldn't really get away with by the time I grew up a bit. How does that change? Well, he went to prison. Oh. When I was about uh, nine years old, he was put in prison for 11 months, I believe. For? Sexually assaulting children and, um, and a young woman. How did that get out? It wasn't something that was talked about within the community. So I knew very little of this, but mm. I just know it was only people that left that um, brought, brought the case. Um, okay. Even though they're not the only ones that have been abused. Because the pressure is so huge within the community. Was he almost expecting these other parents to be doing the things that he wanted to do so he wasn't alone in his crimes 
Is that what it was? That would be probably a very um, logical explanation. Um, that would <laughs> that would be about the best explanation I could come up with. Um, you could never get the truth out of that man mm. ever. So, was he married in the cult and had children of his own? So he was married um, long before he started the cult. Um, and he had 16 children to his, in his <gasps> first marriage. Yes. Mm. Um, first marriage. First marriage. That wife, um, his first wife died when I was young. And he remarried an older lady who passed away a couple of years later, I believe. And then he married uh, an 18-year-old my cousin um and had another family with her of five or six children can we move into the marriage now you said you were 20 when you got married you know everybody in the community did you want to do this did they want to do this i mean i know it was expected the young women want to get married because the whole culture is about, you know, you're only something in the culture if you're a married woman having children for them. Mm. You know, it's, mm. Well, um, the ones that did stay single, uh, uh, wasn't their choice to stay single, I'll say that. They were um, declared to be not of marriageable material what would make that decision the leader yeah but why because they were victims of sexual assault some of them and um as far as he was concerned they were in the wrong <gasps> like shaming them into not being worthy enough or clean enough but the damage was done to them he didn't believe the men were at fault ever. How does that make sense? Well, it doesn't. That's the honest answer. Um, some of these girls were quite young when they were abused, but they were marred for life because of this. And that, that um, of course, had the effect that other girls who got abused knew not to speak up about it because there was consequences for them. Oh, my Lord. So you're saying if you were sexually assaulted as a child and you spoke out about it too loudly, you were then condemned to never marry because you were a whore and a slut and all of the things. But behind closed doors, we will assault our children and they're quiet about it and then they get to marry. And so these these young these young women that didn't get married, they had a life of servitude in front of them. They would work. Work, work, work was their only thing they were expected to because they weren't a married woman with children. Um, so yeah, young women did want to get married. And so did your wife 
apart from wanting to get married to fit in, did she like you? Um, I don't know that like sort of was something that sort of was on the radar for us. <laughs> what does that mean? The thing about Gloria Vale is, um, it's what I would call one of the major doctrines is radical self-denial. Um, so basically the best things for you are the things that hurt the most. Okay. That's how it plays out. So, and uh, everything you, everything you loved and liked was told, you, know, you were told it was bad for you. And so we didn't think about things that way. And as a protection for ourselves, you know, you don't show that you love and like things or, or that you because they'll be taken off you and that's understood it, you'll be and punished that's, by and that's that. good for you um so i mean <laughs> what i will say is well when i was i was waiting for my mother and mother-in-law to be to tell um, my wife to be that she was going to marry me which <laughs> Is the way it happens and um i happened to be close enough to sort of hear them whispering and um then i heard loving start giggling so i i knew that was a good sign she must um kind of like me so when you say it's really hard to answer if she liked me what was it like then when we, you were together was there a fondness was there like how do you live together how do you be together is it affectionate what is normal between married couples by the time i got married it had gotten to the place like our our courtship was three and a half weeks so from when i asked her it was three and a half weeks and we were married we were never allowed to be out of sight talking alone um there was a lot of public functions that we had to be part of and at during those three and a half weeks we basically got no time to even explore what our relationship would be um but then there's just this, I mean, you live in this place, there's marriages all around you, people have been getting married, it's, you know, you know the expectations, you know just sort of how it works. Do you then live alone when you're married? So you finally get to move out of your parents' room, yeah, when you when you get married. Um, so that's... Room. <laughs> what does that mean, well, room? Well, our family was living in a room. One, uh, let me think, is it five, five by five square, um, five by five meter room that my mum, dad, and uh, by then it was, um, yeah, about six kids. And everyone did this? Yeah, it was 
they all had a room. Yeah, so I mean, one room. Some of the, uh, you know, when you got up to uh, seven or eight kids, you were allowed a second room. I'm just even thinking about newborns sleeping in the same room as a three-year-old and a ten-year-old and a fourteen-year-old. Like, that's just chaos. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, okay, so we were we were just glad by then that we were living in a room that that the walls went all the way to the roof. Because um, we spent a lot of a lot of years living in basically sheds, and um, you know there was plywood partitions up to just above the top bunk, and then either open or curtain up. So you know, and you're talking about um, ten or eleven families with up to ten children each living in this area of uh, corrugated iron. You know, it's just, you know, you can hear everything. Everything. What who? What kind of bathroom situation is there? There was always a bottleneck there. Um, I'm thinking when we're in the side wing, that was for about three years and there was been 110 people sharing two toilets and two showers. Um, privacy in a place like that is non-existent you're all living in the same room but is there a sink in there is there are you preparing food no where do you all eat the living accommodation they were called hostels um, based around a a two-story building that has a large internal um, central lounge room and then you have and then you've got rooms right around the perimeter of that. So we all share the same lounge. And that that would have a little ki- kitchenette in it. But um, the meal meals have always been done in a large... Like we have a separate building. It's called the main building. And it'll have the kitchen and dining room and um, some other things attached to it. Yeah. So it's industrial kind and that someone's serving all of the meals and doing all. I get it. Okay, got it. Okay, so now let's fast forward to uh, living together and procreating. How do, like, it all feels a bit much when you're living in a room next door to, like, a million other people or you have learnt parts of sexuality but in really strange, uncomfortable, abusive ways, but you know that you need to have babies, right? How do you move through all of that? Is it is it quite odd? Um, <laughs> people don't get time to think. You work and, and we were working long days and hard days and more than one job type thing and there was community um so there's there's quite a lot of work to do but then there's um in these these sorts of institutions there's a lot of community functions you have to be at the meal times you have to be at the movie night you have to be at the meetings and they're regular and so you, the rest of your life is just filled up with all of these things that you have to be at and doing 
Yeah. And um yeah. and then you go home and you've got a few hours to sleep and make a baby. That's right. Okay, so now I'm thinking when the babies need to be born, you aren't going to a hospital. You are birthing these babies on the property, yes? Mostly, yes. Um, my wife did go to the hospital once um, and the baby wasn't, uh, the birth wasn't progressing. And um, yeah, it was a brow presentation. So um, we were allowed to go to hospital for that. But, um, you know, home birth was like a real big thing. So, you know, people just going to, you didn't go to the hospital just because you wanted to. You know, you were expected, these women were expected to have faith and have a birth at home, even if it nearly killed them, which sometimes it did um, nearly kill them. And the babies too? Well, there were there were definitely some complications. Um, but yeah, we did, we had um, midwives coming from the outside and, um, and women would, would be rushed to hospital, but that was an hour, an hour's journey away. But, Holy moly. Yeah, not, not ideal. How many children do you have? Uh, we have eight. And you can talk to me because you have left. When did you leave? How long ago? It was March, March 13th, 2021. So just over two years. Holy moly. Why? And why then? Um, I was on the verge of a complete collapse. Um, so like I say, I, I've got PTSD. I was pretty close, felt pretty close to death at the time. Um, and that's, that's why my wife consented to leave with me. Talk to me about being close to death. What does that mean? Like I say, I was, I felt, felt like I was close to death. I was living with constant chest pain, um, struggling to sleep, struggling to breathe, uh, still working two full-time jobs and a sort of a half-time job in my day. And um, I was just on, well, I was on the point of collapse, a complete collapse, physical, spiritual, emotional collapse. And um, it was mainly to do with uh, my opposition to the leaders. This was just the first part of our three-part series on Gloria Vale. In the next episode, Faithful talks about how he escaped with his wife and seven children. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.